Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Uh, everybody on the Facebook Live and the Vibe Radio Network. Hope you all are doing all right. We are exhausted. Tired. <laughs> it's been, um, today was a day. Well, let's just say we just got our appliance got out of the house about an hour ago. Yeah. So if that tells you how my day soon. Yep. Broken dryer. <laughs> Yay. It's working again, though. It is, and it doesn't have burnt stuff in it anymore. Yeah, so. And we didn't have a fire. So no, no, no more fire hazard. So, yay for that. But win. <laughs> so we hope you all are doing all right. We are uh, doing okay ourselves now that we are kind of getting settled in, and we're looking forward to being able to chat with you tonight. Yeah. But yeah, so things are slowly but surely starting to get back to normal. And hopefully this weekend, all the restrictions are going to get lifted in Virginia. That's what we're hoping for. Yep. So tours are um, tours are going pretty well. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of sold out tours on Saturday night and, and Friday night. And Friday night. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, things are picking up here, and uh, we expand our schedule in June. So we'll be going five days a week. Yep. One, um, when, Wednesday through Sunday. Yep. So yeah, keeping us on our toes, and uh, but yeah, we're not we're not we're not the only show in town. Things are starting to open up. Yeah, we actually were able to do something normal. We went to a baseball game on Sunday. Um, a nail biter. We actually don't know who won because we left when they went to extra innings. It's a little warm outside. So yeah, um, we sat all the way through really the end of regular the the nine innings and. It was tied at that point. It was tied and it was very hot, and so we called it a day. But we got to go to the park. We got to have some tasty treats, and um, yeah, yep. And uh, the markets are opening up, outdoor markets. Uh, in fact, we got some lovely new decor. Yeah. Um, going to post her Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, but these are handmade um, art, uh, artisan glass lanterns that we have LED lights in, which is really awesome. Um, so yeah. Yep. But. They picked them up from Art Blanche Fine Arts, and that was uh, the um, little kind of artesian market they had at yep. Diamond, pop-up market that they had at Diamond. Which they tend to do every Thursday and Saturday, I believe, so that's kind of cool to go see. But you can find all that good stuff online. Yes. And, yes, my skulls are, are wonderful. I got them at, um, uh, at home years ago. <laughs> Because, you know, we like spooky things around our house. It's spooky 365 at Haunted Ocean. I'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, so tonight we're going to talk about the Finger Lakes region of New York. Chris grew up uh, just northwest of that area uh, in um Buffalo area. I was born in Saratoga Springs, so I was born just east of that area. And so we're going to talk about the middle area. So it is a place we do want to be able to actually go and thoroughly explore because um, neither one of us has done it. But it's a fun place to go. It's a great place for outdoors activities. And of course, it's haunted as well. Any no. just, just responding to Hi, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes the new now. Una and Lulu got callers. They don't like them. Well, Lulu's come to terms with hers. Yes. Una did not because we had to take the bell off. The bell freaked her out. Yes. Thank you, Daddy. You might, matter of fact, you might be hearing Lulu's bell in the background right now. <laughs> All right. So um, when people think of the Finger Lakes area, they sort of think of a romantic getaway. In fact, uh, one of my coworkers, or former coworkers from my teaching days, actually just went and had his, um, his honeymoon up in the, the Finger Lakes area. <laughs> She's being a hill today. Uh, so it's an area that um, is fantastic for the leaves in the autumn if you want to go leaf keeping. It's a great place to go for wineries. Uh, there's a lot of farmer's markets uh, all throughout the summer, uh, berry picking, apple picking. Everything you could possibly want, and of course, pumpkin patch picking for those folks who like spooky things. Uh, there's also something else that else that stands out this time of year, something spookier, and that is, of course, when we start to see storm clouds coming in. You go by the cemeteries that dot the back roads, and all of a sudden we have barren trees and drying leaves that rattle in the wind, and it just that's 
the tone for these spooky stories. So we're going to start in Geneva, New York, with Millhurst Castle. And this is about halfway between Rochester and Syracuse. It's an enchanting town at the northern tip of the crystal clear waters of Seneca Lake. The small city of Geneva, New York, is a blissful spot for wine lovers. It's also a major, major hub on the vibrant Finger Lake Wine Trail. And amongst the stops uh, for those looking for a taste in this region's most famous export is beautiful Belhurst Castle. The property was first the site of the Seneca Indian Village in the early 18th century, and the castle now overlooks the lake named after the tribe. In 1810, the property was first developed by the Ontario Glass Company until they closed and the land was divided. In 1824, one of the parcels was sold to Joseph Fellows, and a few years later, he built the first residence on the land and called it the Hermitage. But Fellows never resided in the home himself. He did enter a deed of trust with enter into a deed of trust with William Henry Buck, who lived in the home and was using it by the name of. Uh, with an alias, actually. Yes. Henry Hall. Um, now, it was initially unknown why Buck used this alias, but it was believed to be due to his deep desire for privacy and seclusion. With the exception of a single servant, Buck lived alone at the Hermitage for a number of years. His time at the residence drew to an end when he fell ill and broke his leg and then subsequently died of blood poisoning. After his death... That was, sounds unpleasant. Yeah, not a way I want to go. After his death, it was discovered that Buck was actually a fugitive from London, and he was wanted for embezzlement. He had fled to America and took on the name Henry Hall, uh, and many people believe that Buck built a secret tunnel as a means of escape if he was ever found by authorities. The supposed tunnel would factor into the legends of the hauntings to come at the castle. In 1852, the property was purchased by Harrison G. Otis, and he renamed the property Bellhurst Castle. The Otis family resided in the home for 26 years before relocating to Virginia in 1878. So we do have a connection to this. The home then stood vacant for seven years, but the grounds became a popular picnic location for locals. In 1885, Carrie M. Harriman came from New York City to see the land and purchased the property the same day. She was the wife of Samuel D. Harriman at the and upon purchasing the property, she promptly divorced her husband. She had plans. Yeah. Carrie was a millionaire by her own right, and being a descendant of the famous politician Henry Clay, that might sound familiar. Yep. No famous Virginian. She then married her manager on June 6th of 1888, Captain Louis Dell Collins, who accompanied her to Belfast. Soon after, she tore down the original hermitage structure and began construction on a four-story mansion that became the castle we today. Fifty men labored on the structure for more than four years, and many of the items used to construct the furnished castle were, of course, imported from Europe. And because many of the visitors will note that they feel swept away to a classic European castle upon entering the majestic structure, the construction was not without its troubles. Only 48 of the laborers saw the finished structure. One man went insane while working on the roof. Another man fell from the tower, killing himself instantly. The horrible death was just the start of the tragedy at the mansion. The legend came later. Carrie died of April 5th of 1926 in Savannah, Georgia. Belhurst Castle was passed on to her grandson, who soon sold it to Cornelius J. Dwyer, and converted it into a speakeasy and a casino. The gambling was held upstairs in the castle while the liquor smuggled in from Canada during the Prohibition entered the building via that tunnel uh, that was underneath the structure and carried over from the property's days at the Hermitage. In 1952, the casino was shut down and sold to Robert and Nancy Golden in 1975. The Goldens used the downstairs of the castle as a restaurant while living upstairs. They also converted the second and third floor into 12 guest rooms that opened up the castle as a hotel. November 2nd of 1992, the Reader family became the present owners. Now, the legend that we've been teasing about goes a little something like this. A beautiful Italian opera singer known only by the name of Isabel fled from Spain with her lover to Belfort's Castle as guest of Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Heron. The singer's husband, of course, tracks them down to the castle in an attempt to flee him. The lovers make their way into the wine cellar and that infamous tunnel. 
The tunnel would lead them to the carriage house where they could make their escape. Unfortunately, entering the tunnel, it collapsed on the lovers, killing them, and the jealous husband found his justice. To this day, many people have reported seeing a lady in white on the front lawn of the castle, whom they believe to be the opposite. And the owners themselves have even uh, named the ghost Isabel. As a matter of fact, you can go and enjoy a spa treatment at the guests of the Bellhurst Castle, and you'll find yourself in their Isabel Spa and Salon. Her spirit has also been seen wandering in the nearby shoreline of Seneca Lake, pining for her lost love. And those who have dared to approach her will say they she will disappear with a mournful sigh. Other spirits that are set to warm the grounds here include that of Dick O'Brien, who was the caretaker of the property until he passed away in 1972. Guests will still see him walking up the stairs or lounging in his favorite chair. And plenty of other paranormal phenomena takes place across the property. Showers will turn themselves on and off in the guest rooms. Bottles of glasses will have flown across the bar area. Uh, guests will report hearing the sound of children playing and screaming in the room next to them when no one is there. Others have heard the sounds of furniture being moved about when things are in their proper place. And others seem to deter the guests that flock to Bellhurst for a taste of luxury and perhaps a brush with a spirit. Definitely on my list of places I want to go. Nope, Glenn's just chiming in. Say hi. Hey, Glenn. And well, if you don't want to go to Seneca Lake, we got another place where you can rest your head over in Clyde, New York. <clears throat> I want to go check out. I the thing about the Finger Lakes is that I've only ever really driven driven through or you know I've never really made a trip there per se. No. I, I've been there in the area, but it was, you know, when I was little, but when I was little, all these wineries and better breakfast and stuff like that, that well, didn't get a chance to explore any of that. No. But yeah, uh, maybe maybe one day we'll get a bus up there. We'll have to take a winter trip. Yes, yes, a winter trip. Or an early spring. Darn. I would love to see the fall colors, but October, not <laughs> what happens in October? We don't have a light. So. It's nothing but two worse. Oh, darn. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but, yeah, so moving over to Clyde, New York. Now, uh, here we're going to talk about the Erie Mansion that stands in Clyde. It's just a little to the north of Cayuga Lake and the stone throw from the Erie Canal. So it's named after the canal, not Lake Erie. Uh, it was only renamed Erie about 12 years ago in honor of the nearby canal, and in years prior had been known as the Smith Eli Mansion. The historic home was built back in 1858 by Dr. Jarvis Smith and his wife. The Smith's daughter, Eugenia, married Charles Eli, owner of Clyde Glassworks, which was one of the largest glass companies in the world when the Erie Canal was in its prime. Eugenia and Charles transformed the home into the stately mansion that you see today. Construction was completed in 1910, and the Eli family lived there for two generations. As it stands, this Italianette structure boasts three floors and 43 rooms sprawling over 12,000 square feet. The home has a colorful history, serving as a private residence for various families, a veteran's home, and a multifamily low-income housing until it was condemned in 2006. The mansion stood vacant for two years until local real estate investor Mark Wright spotted the house for sale. Mark realized that the home, which was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, had lots of potential, and he purchased the building in April 2008 with the intention of renovating it into a private residence for himself. Surprisingly, through all its transformation, the house has retained much of its original... Excuse me, sorry, right? Am I talking talking? No, the coffee. My bad. <clears throat> oh, has retained much of its original craftsmanship. Fireplaces with marble from various co- uh, countries, massive mahogany and teak mantles, arcade floors, gold leaf wall coverings, ornately carved beams and pillars, and stained and leaded glass. Mark and his staff sent to uh, restoring the home to its former glory 
and shortly thereafter the stories began to roll in. Almost every day, locals would stop by to check out the work, and they would often share their favorite ghost stories about the mansion. Workers also started experiencing strange sights and sounds as they moved forward with the renovations. One worker was so upset by his experiences that he refused to work in the building alone. The stories and experiences led right to play homage to those who made the structure as majestic as it is. Pictures of the Smith-Eli families graced the walls just inside the main entrance today. That said, it's not a surprise that some unsettled spirits still wander the mansion. The mansion is where Dr. Smith and his wife took their last breaths, and Mr. and Mrs. Eli spent their final days there as well. But they were not the only ones to meet their end in the mansion. One particularly bloody tale tells of a kitchen helper who turned up headless. The mix of luxury and death here can be pretty jarring. Apparitions have been cited by past tenants and paranormal researchers who were granted the opportunity to investigate the building. Given the research and eyewitness testimony, Wright was able to establish the mansion as a historically haunted landmark, and the mansion now has a bold marker out front to proudly display its designation. With such an overwhelming amount of stories and interest in historically haunted locations, Mark decided to share some of his stories with the public, and the Erie Mansion Bed and Breakfast was created. By all accounts, stories continue to roll in from the Erie Mansion Bed and Breakfast. Amongst its most reported spirits is that of a woman in white walking up the staircase. There are also women in Victorian garb seen carrying lanterns around the home. Previous residents of the property have reported seeing a black woman in servant's garb in the kitchen area, and many have heard and recorded disembodied voices in the honeymoon suite. While others have interacted with the spirit of a female on the fourth floor, visitors have also photographed many orbs throughout the house, but especially in the billiard room. On the more sinister side, people have been scratched on the back of the neck, in the weight room, and in the back stairwell. The stories are so numerous that Mark has them recorded in scrapbooks in his personal quarters downstairs. And while one can never guarantee that you might uh, that you may have a paranormal experience, uh, a trip to the Erie Mansion bed and breakfast is sure to be a luxurious and spine tingling adventure. Okay. Yeah, I looked up some pictures of this place. It's gorgeous. Wow, is it pretty amazing in there? I mean, it is totally decked out in the Victorian era and mm-hmm. just an absolutely stunning location. Yeah, and and ghosts. And ghosts. So yeah, retro paranormal <laughs> location. All right, so we're going to pop over to Palmyra, New York, and this is actually the Williams Phelps General Store and Holy Museum. It's just north of Canadawa Lake along the Erie Canal, and you'll find the museum where time stands still. The Williams Phelps General Store and Home Museum stood in Palmyra, New York, since 1826. It served the needs of the community and canal travelers as a boarding house, a tavern, bakery, and general store. The proprietor, William Phelps, completed renovations to the current structure in 1875 and was subsequently left untouched by his son, Julius, who locked the doors in 1940, leaving a curious retail time capsule to explore. Upstairs, you can visit the elegant family home with the post-Civil War furnishings, excuse me, uh, Victorian splendor and unspoiled by electricity or indoor plumbing where Sybil Phelps resided until her pressing in 1976. The haunting presence of the Phelps 108-year legacy remains to this day. Now, just a couple of doors down the street from the General Store Museum is the Palmyra Historical Society, or excuse me, Historical Museum. It resides in a structure that once served as a hotel and a tavern on Main Street. When urban renewal threatened the structure, it was moved from Main Street to its current location at 123 Market Street in 1976. It was not the first structure to grace that address, though, as it was situated on the rubble of a home that had burned 12 years prior. On December 20th of 1864, there was a tragic fire that resulted in the death of a woman named Anna and her six youngest children. Multiple fire companies came from the surrounding area to try to stop the blaze, and it was the largest fire to happen in Wayne County to this day. Fire is said to have been caused by Anna's husband and the children's father. Paul Breeder, <clears throat> that's the children's father, or excuse me, that was 
her husband and the children's father. This was never proven. It's believed that Anna and her children now reside in the museum that stands on the foundation of their once home. Paranormal investigation groups have had the opportunity to investigate both the general store and the historical museum. Some of their experiences have been chilling. In the historical museum, there is a doctor's room dedicated to early medicine and medical care in town. Visitors to the room have experienced feelings of heaviness and shortness of breath. These experiences started when a set of medical tools designed specifically for the female anatomy, anatomy were donated to the museum. To say that they were designed for women isn't meant to imply that they are comfortable or painless in any way. Perhaps this residual trauma is the why the feelings, heavy feelings uh, strike female visitors the hardest. On the first floor of the museum, guests have reported seeing children darting in and out of the exhibits and a general feeling of being watched and followed. It is thought that these are some of Anna's children playing hide and seek with museum visitors. In the area of the building that once served as the tavern, you can still see the well-trodden indents in the floor where the bartenders have walked back and forth as they served patrons. The room is full of artifacts and it's not uncommon to hear singing in the space. Some investigators have caught the sound of a woman singing uh, on their recordings, and they often attribute the lyrics to a woman named Rose who worked the room in its tavern day. In the nearby bedroom, it's common to hear footsteps and things moving about when no one is there. During one investigation, one of the team members entered the space to track down the source of the noise he heard. Upon entering the space, he quickly spotted a plastic ornament with gold strings, an ornament that most definitely was not there during their initial walkthrough as it was right in the middle of the walk path. Perhaps one of the children might, that had been spotted in the bedroom was playing with the shining trinkets. The creepiest of the museum rooms is called the doll room. Yes, doll. You all know how I feel about dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So we've got a mountain of creepy and haunted doll stories, and there's always more. In this case, one of the museum staff recalled the time when a man from the Philippines entered the museum and immediately told her that there were two dolls that should never be removed from their cases. The man never went into the doll room, and he didn't say which doll should stay in case before he turned around and left. Investigators who have heard this tale are unable to resist the urge to find out the story behind the dolls. We'll leave that one to Rhonda. <laughs> Rhonda loves her doll. Yep. All right. One group attempted to experiment with flashlights. They trained the flashlights on each of the doll cases and asked the spirits if they would light up whatever cases contained dolls, the dolls in question. While none of the flashlights turned on, one of them did abruptly roll several feet across the floor. They were unable to figure out what would have made the flashlights do that. The floor was level. It took quite a push to make the flashlight roll so far. While they were checking out the flashlights, noise was heard in the other sections of the museum, and a couple of team members went off to investigate. The remaining members stayed in the doll room and started an EVC session. The members that had left eventually returned, having found no discernible source for the noise. Then the group gathered around the EVC recorders and listened back to their attempt at paranormal Q&A sessions. They listened as one of the investigators carried the voice recorder around the space, and in front of each doll, he asked, what about this one? In reference to the cases that should not be opened. At uh, one of the cases, after asking his question, the very distinct voice of a girl replied, it's not that one. At this point, you need to ask yourself, is this a helpful spirit attempting to protect the people from opening the adult case as an equivalent Pandora's box? Or is it a more malevolent spirit trying to lull people into a false sense of security? To the best of our knowledge, the cases have remained closed, and they will hopefully stay that way for everybody's sake. I will never be one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, back to the store. As previously noted, the family lived there uh, above the or <clears throat> lived in the home above the store for many years. At the far end of the kitchen is a room known as the sixth room. Well, not intended to strictly be this purpose. It is where ill fit, uh, family members would be sequestered whenever they uh, became ill and they needed to recover from their illness. 
That is, of course, if they recovered at all. Many people passed away in this room, and that includes Julius Phelps in 1964. He is known to still pop this room, and he tends to be very ornery. He has a particular distaste for women being in this room. During one investigation, a female investigator settled into a spot in the kitchen and immediately chased into the sick room. During an ADT session, an investigator asked, we were hoping we could get some dinner, and a voice came through on the EVT with no. A short while later, the investigator asked, can we have seconds? And the voice returned again with a very distinct, yeah. Please, sir, can I have some more? No. Not very graceful, graceful, graceful. Gracious. Gracious. Now, we, of course, suggest that you remember your lunch or dinner before you go and to investigate at the general store. Another room in the Phelps family home served as a small parlor. As with all the furniture in the Phelps family home, the parlor features a collection that is all original to the family. At a glance, it might look a little hodgepodge, but you need to remember the Phelps family lived here for 108 years. In this space resides the spirit of a little girl they call Polly. She tragically died outside of the building, and they believe that she was abused. They said that Holly now hides under a small table in the room looking for comfort. Holly is said to only trust women and will sometimes hold their hands with them underneath the table. One investigation session, a woman sitting near the table felt her hand get tingly as they were attempting to communicate with Holly. Was this a response from the tragic little girl or just a coincidence? Similar experiences have happened often enough that you eventually need to ask where does the coincidence end and the paranormal begin. Dolls let things up. People love their haunted dolls. I'm sorry, y'all. You can keep your haunted dolls. I'll, I'll keep my teddy bears. Well, I told I just told Patrick that we still have plenty of material and that we could possibly do a haunted doll part three sometime. I think we've done two. Okay. I don't think part we've done three. I, I don't think I we've have done, part three started. Yeah, we haven't done more than two of anything. We've done two dolls. We did two castles. Two highways? Yep. But yeah, Patrick, uh, regarding the uh, possibly a haunted doll part three, all caps. Please do. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I guess another one's in, in, in the pipeline, but we'll see about a haunted doll for maybe Halloween. <laughs> we got a lot in the pipeline. We do. We, I have the next three scripts. Basically, more or less finished and ready to edit. Yep. But... There's a whole, we've got to have like at least two dozen partial scripts. Oh, yeah. We so we got a lot of material. At least got to start on it. <laughs> we got stuff to talk about. <laughs> yes, please give me all the haunted doll stories. <laughs> next, three, next three shows are planned out. We'll see after that. We'll see after that. <laughs> uh, so uh, our next stop, we are going to Cayuga Park, New York. Now, in 1823, John Nicholas Rose, son of wealthy landowners Robert Selden Rose and Jane Lawson Rose, left his childhood home of Rosewood Mansion. The Roses owned the Rosewood Mansion. Of course. I want to know where they red roses, pink roses, white roses. Probably all the above. Purple. (laughs) Of course, this was a beautiful mansion overlooking Seneca Lake near Geneva, and uh, Nick, John Nicholas Rose, he left there to go ahead and build his own notable residence. He moved just a little to the south to Yates County, where he purchased over 1,000 acres overlooking Cayuga Lake. He married his wife, Jane, in 1829, and they set to work on their home. Esperanza Mansion was completed in 1838, and the Roses lived out their lives at the beautiful home. Constructed in the massive style of the colonial era, visiting members of the family were not impressed by its size. They want it bigger. Oh, oh yes. The story is told that John's mother, coming to visit her son's new home for the first time, commented that it was nice but rather small. Esperanza is built on a simple center entrance floor plan. Construction is all masonry, stone walls, and brick pilasters covered with original stucco. Main interior partitions are solid masonry from cellar to attic. 
Outstanding architectural features of the building include magnificent two-story columns on the front portico facing the lake, which are constructed of massive tree trunks covered with stucco. They like stucco. There's also an open staircase extending from the first floor to the attic and a cavernous attic with its impressive network of structural beams. There are 19 rooms covering more than 6,000 square feet of space, but it was, too small. it was too small, according to dear old mom. Moving on. In addition to the roses, principal owners of Esperanza included George Clinton Snow from New Jersey. He was a noted vineyardist um, and uh, yeah, winemaker. Vintner. 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 Yes. An authority on grape culture. He purchased the property from the Roses in 1873, several years after the death of John Rose. Later, Wendell T. Bush, a powerful financier from New York City, took possession in 1903 and used the home for his summer residence. Mr. Bush is known to have been responsible for extensive renovation and landscaping. Uh, it was also Mr. Bush who, at the time of the opening of the Samson Theater in Penyan, which is a town not too far away, if you are not familiar with the area, but he presented a drop curtain design with the likeness of Esperanza on it. Mrs. Bush launched the Yates County Women's Suffrage Campaign from Esperanza in June 1911, and Clinton Struble of Penyan purchased the property in 1912, and in 1922 it was sold to Yates County and converted into a county excuse me, converted into a county home. The county completed renovation of the interior and installing plumbing, heating, electric lights, and dividing rooms. A balcony and an annex were added as well. By 1948, the county's money for operating the home was depleted. Uh, basically, what the county was doing, they, they went ahead, like what we were talking about with the Erie County one, and it was made into county housing for, for residents. So, similar deal, but uh, Yates County, eventually they run out of money in 1948, and uh, the, they basically they wound up having to sell the property off, and it was purchased by Garrett Backhorn, and Esperanza stood vacant for about 20 years, during which time the interior was severely vandalized. In 1967, Miss Betty Bader purchased Esperanza with the intent of establishing an art gallery for local talent, but she passed away before her projects could be completed. The property languished for several more years before Esperanza became the home of Chateau Esperanza Winery in 1979. Yay, wineries, saving the day. Now, with all the history surrounding the beautiful mansion, it certainly had plenty of owners over the years, lots of, you know, ups and downs and all kinds of, you know, various events going on there. Definitely a lot of energy around the place. And, uh, with all this history around this beautiful mansion, it can be hard to pinpoint exactly who it is that haunts the landmark. Esperanza is the home of a mysterious woman in white who wanders the mansion. And it's worth noting at this point, you, you might be thinking, wait a second, I've heard this before. And it's because you have. This is the third time in this episode alone that we have noted a woman in white. It's, There's a lot of women in white out there. That yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you hear those, those types of hauntings. They come from all over the world. But for whatever reason, the Finger Lake have a lot of women in white. A lot of women in white in the Finger Lakes area. Imagine what they could do if they all come together. That'd be awesome. Have a whole parade of ghostly women they have in a white. Ghostly convention. Women suffragettes. We could do a whole a whole show. Up. We could do a whole series of shows on the women in white hauntings of the world. I get tired of saying women in white. Women. No, that doesn't quite work either. Anyway, we do a whole show on them if we were so inclined, but we are curious to hear your thoughts on why this is. If you have a theory about the uh, the women in white, why are these spectral beings so common? If you want to go ahead and kind of drop something in the comments, we're curious um, because it's just something you hear all over the place. Now, in addition to the woman in white, uh, the woman in white at this particular location People have reported hearing the disembodied voice of a teenage boy, and there are some spirit that takes pleasure in messing with the electronic devices in the guest rooms of today's bed and breakfast that operate in the beautiful building. It's very common for the TVs to turn themselves on and off at all hours of the day and night. And, uh, yeah, you, know, you might find that uh, your other personal electronic devices start getting a little toyed around with as well. So definitely a, a 
has potential for uh, you know another location, another haunted bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. Donnie just said he's heading to the Finger Lakes this year. Awesome. So, Donnie, did we give you any places to go stay? I know you guys have got family up that way. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, next up is the Mild Wine Cellar. Go. A blend of Chardonnay and Cuyuga wines is a tribute to a special spirit found outside the wine bottles at Miles Wine Cellars, located in Randall Crossing Road uh, on the west shore of Seneca Lake. So it's come full circle. We're back at Seneca Lake. Winery owners Doug Miles and Susie Haynes have never shied away from the office history that their business is home to. According to the stories, the winery located at 1802 Greek Revival Mansion excuse me, located in an 1802 Greek Revival Mansion, might have a few residents that are not amongst the living anymore. Hayes explains the site of the mansion was historically a stop for a ferry and for barges that carried dry goods and animals. It was also a stop on the Underground Railroad that helped slaves travel from freedom to freedom in the north via the waterways. Clairvoyants who have visited uh, the winery just to have a taste well, let's just say they let them know that there are spirits in the house. It's not news to Miles or the generations of other families who have lived or visited this impressive mansion. The Miles family who have lived and worked in this location since the early 1980s have had their share of encounters with whomever lives in eternity there. So far, these encounters have been more than an inconvenience than frightening. One day in the early 1990s, Miles was in the office and Hayes was in the nearby kitchen. She walked into the living room just outside of the office, then opened the door to walk up the back stairway to the second floor. Miles heard the door to the stairway slam, so he went to the stairs to ask her what angered her to the point of slamming the door. As he stood in the doorway, he heard footsteps in the kitchen. When he looked into the kitchen, which was immediately next to the stairway door, he saw a mist rising from the floor. It formed at a height nearly equal to his and flew through the living room in what is now a retail room out of the house, slamming several other doors along the way. It didn't take Miles long to join Hayes upstairs where they spent the rest of the night. They say there was enough time so when they were frightened enough that they spent the night in their car when they first lived there. Miles' father was routinely awoken by the night or at night by somebody pressing on his back and the comforter from his bed was frequently flung across the room. It's still quite often found crumpled at the base of the bed and or at the door. Initial fears have developed into acceptance with Miles and Hayes. They've decided to aim for ways to please their spirits. On the advice of some of of the clairvoyants, they don't host seances or try to actively stir things up with the spirit world. They say that almost every staff member at the winery has had an experience with the paranormal. They include doors closing quickly, items flying off of the shelf unexpectedly, and staff members hearing their names called when there is nobody else in the room. Hay says that all the interactions are benign, though somewhat startling. She explains that sometimes visitors will take pictures around the grounds and later discover strange features in their films. Uh, there's usually like a hazy mist or even faces. One particularly interesting photo shows what appears to be a goose cat leaping over some furniture in a room that is otherwise empty. In addition to the 17 years of work that Miles has put into restoring and remodeling the house, he has also put considerable effort into cleaning and maintaining the family cemetery. He says that if the ghost isn't happy, nobody's happy. In honor of these ghosts, Miles Wine Cellar created the previously noted white wine blend that they call Ghost. The bottle is ingeniously made of clear glass etched with the image of a dancing couple. When light is thrown, shown through the bottle, the couple appears as a ghostly figure on the wall. It's a sweet way to celebrate the spirit. Imagine all this, uh, the image on the front of the bottle is a ghost-like silhouette of a woman, and through her skirt, the wine is the bottle. One can see the line drawing of the house, which appears in the back of the wine bottle. One of the theories that Miles and Hayes have heard about their ghosts revolves around a young couple who may have died tragically at the house. They haven't been able to trace the legend to its true roots, 
but were intrigued about the story and the recollections of an elderly woman who told them of her childhood experience at the house. She never minded being punished when her parents sent her to her room because she always had company of a nice man and woman who would come out of the walls and visit her. Arcing, back at, uh, arcing about the silhouette on the front of the bottle, the woman, uh, Wickham incorporated the Miles' words, sometimes when I'm walking, I see two people standing on the porch, a man in black and a woman in white, but as I draw closer, they die away. The back of the bottle includes advice from Hayes, experiencing spirits within, as well as an invitation to visit the wine store's webpage and read some of the ghost stories and add your own experience. Now, if you're feeling the need for a ghostly or spooky experience, you can actually stay overnight at one of their two guest rooms and have a glass of ghost wine and see for yourself that the rumors are true. Hmm. Well, did have a couple of questions. Okay. So, well, questions and comments. So, first of all, Merlin uh, responded back. Uh, she suspects uh, when you talk about the women in white, the woman in white, um, the light color is just how you see some of the lighter dress colors and how they translate to our side. Uh, the dress could very well be a pastel blue or something like that, but when we're seeing it from, uh, you know, in the spirit sense, it's just those light colors kind of get washed out a little bit. So if you have to look at this at a light spectrum, white light can hit all lights. Mm-hmm. We just use gel filters to filter out the rest of the colors except for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, similar thing. We just don't have a filter on. Yeah. And we did have a different question, uh, something else altogether from David. Where was that? Um, responded to it. Yes, David. What is the most haunted state? Which is, that, that's a tricky one. Now, that is a very tricky one. I, I responded. I said that um, that uh, Virginia and South Carolina are definitely major hot spots, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, down into Georgia. Yeah. And then, of course, what we're talking about tonight, New York. Lots of stories across New York. Too. I mean, there's, there's a ton of material. We'll probably at one point in time someday do a New York City episode because oh, there's yeah. so much there. But we've done the we've done the spirits of the North Country before. And we only scratched those. We only scratched the surface there. We're only scratching the surface on this. Yeah. New York State actually has a... Um, you know, you know how um, they have a website that literally tracks all the haunted locations across the state. I got to give them some credit. They are doing their their tourism bureau, bureau is doing a fantastic job. Like the, you got like the New York Wine Trails. Go ahead and check out all the wineries. They have the, the New York trail. the New York Ghost Trail. Or so haunted trail. Haunted trail. So you can go ahead and you can see all these paranormal hot spots that are more than willing to talk about their haunted history and whatnot. So, yeah, they're they're doing it right up there. They totally embrace it yeah. uh, up there. So they know that people want this stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's usually when, I, when I'm starting to look in an area, I'll actually check out that page first and be like, okay, here, 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 and here. And then I'll dive deeper trying to find the original story. Mm-hmm. Now, over time, I mean, we plan on keeping it going on doing this for quite some time. And we've talked about it, of course, We've hit New York State a couple of times now. We we did a haunted Kentucky about a month ago. We we've done we Maryland. Uh, yeah, we did the Maryland. Sorry, we're having a cat fight apparently. Um, but yeah, we want to do more of the the states and feature each of the states. Uh, we did Hawaii. We only talked about two or three of the, of the islands, so we want to be able to come back and. Uh, look at the rest of the islands. Um, I've got a whole bunch on Pennsylvania and uh, Vermont and more on Maine. So, again, a lot of different things that we can go and figure out. Yeah. So, sorry about that. Everything's fine. All the kitty cats are fine. Um, but, yeah, I, at some point we're going to try try to go ahead and get around and like, do um, state-specific episodes, which yeah. – with 50 states um, and only having hit a few right now, that's a lot of episodes down the line. Yeah. And I can definitively say that so far, of course, here, Virginia, very promising. New York's right up there. Um, could, you know, well, Kentucky and Hawaii have, you know, some really neat haunted stories. Definitely not amongst the most haunted. Yeah. Florida's up there, too. Florida is up there. Yeah, because, I mean, St. Augustine alone, but um, there's we, a lot of stories up there. 
St. Augustine, we did the whole episode on, on the Key West. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, anywhere there's a lot of water, a lot of battles, you're going to have a lot of haunting. Yeah. Um, so. But, yeah, we're, 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 I think that's a question that we will distill over time and see, um, you know, some, some of the state episodes are easier to research than others yeah. because the. There will be an Alaska one coming up. That's also another one that I've just started working on the script for. Let's see. Uh, Len asked Merlin, what about dark gray or black dresses capture? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. You see, the, like, women in black, too. So that's another common one. And Merlin thinks a stronger spirit may be able to project a stronger color. Yeah. So, yep. Well, heck, we've got a, a lady in red in um, the Jefferson Hotel. And she was wearing a red party dress that night and that she was killed in, so I think she was seen in her last actual fully dressed attire, not necessarily what she died in. Um, <laughs> and actually, Patrick, he, he brought up the comparison um, about maybe it's just some, some people, you know, see things differently. Oh, yeah. I mean, think, think about the pictures on the internet. Oh, what, what, yeah, what color? Yeah, that he, he tagged that. What color is the dress? <laughs> not trying to be disrespectful. I don't think it's disrespectful. Very good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people, it's your perception. A lot of it's just how you perceive things. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did you see something? My, my comment thread froze. Had to restart it. <laughs> um, now, I will say, and I will throw this out here, if anybody has a sponsor, Chris and I would love to go do a huge road trip and do, like, a live broadcast from different states at some of these places and do the states that way. Or just do a huge vlogging thing. The cats are chasing each other. Are we still plugged in? Yes, I think so. Okay. Finishes up because they're going very fast. Uh, yeah. Oh, we still got some stories to share. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Donnie, don't forget limestone buildings. Yeah. yeah. Anything with limestone, definitely. Yeah. There might be some comments that we have to catch up on because my my feed is getting a little finicky. So forgive me if I don't say as much on top of the comments as we normally do from this point forward. <laughs> but we will catch up, even if it's not right now. We'll catch up with you all after the show. Please do keep commenting. We'd love to be able to chat with you like this. So. Our next stop uh, is uh, we're uh, going to be going to a place that is known as now the Naples Hotel. It was originally built as the Lion Tavern back in 1818, just a mile south of the original Pioneer Settlement in Naples, and its current name of the Naples Hotel. Located just off the southern tip, um, southern tip of Canandaigua Lake, this historic hotel is well known for its hauntings. Featuring 32 rooms, including guest rooms, a restaurant, and a basement bar. I love basement bars. Uh, The Naples Hotel is perfect for an incredible paranormal weekend. The Naples Hotel building was built back in 1895, and over the years, it has accumulated quite the collection of paranormal tales. Now, I did say that it started at the Lion Tavern. There was some renovation in the time in between. So, kitty cats again. (laughs) Okay, the Naples Hotel building was built in 1895 and over the years has accumulated quite the collection of paranormal tales. One of the spirits that haunts the hotel belongs to a man who killed himself on the third floor in the 1920s. They have given him the name Topper and he is said to have hung himself in a guest room. Apparently, death did not make Topper any less mischievous. He is often seen as a shadowy figure in 1920s clothing and his appearance is frequently accompanied by whispers, unexplained movement in artwork, flickering lights, televisions turning on and off, or coat hangers inexplicably dangling from the bathroom ceiling lights. Very interesting collection of little paranormal uh, activity there. There are also reports of a female ghost named Alice and her two children who are all believed to have died in the hotel in the early 1900s. Alice has been seen in the dining room window, while her children have been seen peeking out from a guest room window upstairs. 
There is another female spirit who has been seen in the restaurant's front room, and you will often smell her lilac scent in the room when she is around. Today, you can schedule a private tour of the uh, private spirit tour of the hotel to experience its hauntings firsthand, or better yet, you can stay there for a night and see what happens. So again, that's the Naples Hotel in Naples, New York, which is just by Canada Lake. Moving on to one of the last location. Not quite. Not quite. So uh, next up, Seneca Falls Historical Society. Just west of Cayuga Lake is the town of Seneca Falls, and you can find and here you can find the bridge from what uh, that now famous scene, and it's a wonderful life. Uh, just a half mile up the road, uh, half, the, half a mile up the street at 55 Cayuga Street is the mansion that the Seneca Falls Historical Society calls its home. The house was built in 1855 by Edward uh, Minders, we'll son of a successful businessman named uh, Wil, uh, Wilhelmus Minders, and the house at that time was Italianate in style and served that family until 1875. Edward enjoyed his family well so much that he squandered it away and uh, the family business went bankrupt. In 1875, Miss Ellen Partridge moved into the house and immediately set about altering the house into its present-day appearance as a Queen Anne-styled mansion with 23 rooms. Then, from 1891 until 1961, members of the Becker family lived there. In 1961, the Seneca Falls Historical Society acquired the mansion and continued to use this home as its museum and headquarters. Given the background information, it should not be surprising that one ghostly tale associated with the mansion deals with the ghost of Edward Minders. <laughs> the names. Ah, his restless ghost first appeared during the Becker family's stay, turning pictures around to face the wall and stopping clocks. There's some speculation that the ghost activities reflected Edward's dislike for the changes that had been made to the house. While he may not have been very responsible with his money, it seems that he might feel some responsibility for maintaining the integrity of his one-time home. Some members of the Historical Society staff believe that Edward's ghost has stayed at the house to protect it. This staff member also says that Edward helped the staff find a bat that resisted capture. Occasionally, bats will work their way into the historic structure, and one night the police were at the museum six times trying to catch this one furry little creature. Sky puppies. Sky puppies, they're cute. And that's for when you have to catch them. Yep. Finally, on the last visit, the china and silverware on the buffet rattled. Upon investigation, they found the flying furry critter tucked away inside. The staff think that Edward rattled the cabinet to help aid in the search, as there's no way for that little batch to have shaken that sizable cabinet. Another story is associated with Mary Merrigan, who served as a nanny for the Becker children. Mary lived on the third floor and stayed with the family until 1957, when her dementia led her to being admitted to the hospital. On the night she passed away, her ghost reappeared to the Becker family, apparently in an attempt to bid them farewell. In August of 2001, an Eric Lewis was called to the house by his sister, Patricia, who was clearly upset on the phone. She had been working alone on the house and had heard someone work walking upstairs. Eric's investigation led him to the third floor, past the nursery, to the back corner of the house and into Mary's old quarters. As Patricia was relating how Mary's spirit is supposed to haunt the area, Eric left his tape recorder, which was turned on, on the trunk by the bed. At the end of the tour, Eric listened to the tape and heard nothing unusual. Later that night, however, when he played the tape at the family gathering, he was surprised by what he heard. On the recording, you could hear the sounds of the door creaking as Eric entered the room. But then a a voice clear as a bell and a deep, raspy voice said, excuse me, you hit me. Patricia screamed at the sound of a voice on the tape recorder and ran from the room. This event convinced Eric that the Seneca Falls Historical Society does, in fact, have at least one ghost. Another spirit associated with the Historical Society is that of a young Irish girl who served in the house under the Beckers, probably as a companion to the girls. She died of consumption, tuberculosis, at the age of 15, and it seems that she had longed for her native Ireland. 
We hear her crying on the back stairs, which the ones she would have used, said um, Fran Barbary. Uh, I wonder, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I would wonder if something was wrong and think, did someone fall? Of course, you don't find anything, but you would swear someone is just sobbing in the back. We think she wants to go home. She's been with us a very long time. In the fall of 2002, the Society agreed to host a camera crew and a psychic for an overnight stay. Without prompting or suggestion, the female psychic picked up on all the spirits in the house. She was unable to sleep because she said that there were three spirits who kept her awake. The psychic said, there is someone very sad in the house. She wants to go home to Ireland, and she needs to be released. At the suggestion of the psychic, the group held a seance in the hopes that this would enable the person to go home. Fran Barbary reported that the entire next winter, she didn't hear anyone crying on the back stairs. In summary, Fran Barbary has stressed that Seneca Falls Historical Society Mansion is not a spook house. She has admitted that she doesn't like going up to Mary's third room, the third floor room because of the odd feeling that persists there. But otherwise, she finds the spirits are not frightening at all. It is a very comforting place. The current executive director of the Seneca Falls Historical Society has added, if there are ghosts, they don't bother us, probably because we find it a nice, comfortable place to work. During October, the Society's tour guides offer ghost tours where they share their best stories and revisit haunted locations around the house. The organization also brings in a medium for guests who are interested in having their futures predicted. It's the perfect spooky break from wine tasting and dining. Sorry, I'm yawning. It's okay. You can read that. I didn't get my math today. Oh, dear. <laughs> Too busy with prior right there. <laughs> All right, we're going to pop over to Eldridge, New York, and a wayside Irish pub because, you know, Chris and I, when we travel, we need to find an Irish pub. It's just the way we are. Chris needs a good scout. <laughs> All right, so just north of Scantilessi's uh, Lake, you'll find the town of Eldridge. And if you're here with the desire to get something to eat, you might find yourself at the Wayside Irish Pub. Be warned, the patrons who come to the Wayside to let their hair down might find their hair being tugged and learn that the spirits aren't just in the bottles at this nearly 200-year-old establishment. It is labeled the most haunted restaurant in New York State, and the establishment has been visited over the years by paranormal investigators and psychic mediums trying to connect with the not-so-living patrons still at the bar. The current owner of the pub is Margot Spain, and she says, when we first came in, I knew right from the get-go that it had a reputation for being haunted. I had never had anything happen to me that didn't hear before I owned it. However, since then, she has. She continues to say, if you were work here long enough, you're definitely going to have something happen to you. You're going to see something, or you're going to hear something. You're definitely going to feel something. Most of the investigators who visit Wayside come to the same conclusion. The pub is, in fact, quite haunted, and there are multiple spirits that keep each other company. The most prominent spirit appears to be a soldier who walks barefoot west from Syracuse along the one-time wooden turnpike road, what is now Route 5. And he stopped at what was then the Monroe House to get a horse from the livery stable there. Somehow the man died at the bar that night. The details are murky, but it seems the man may have been shot in the back. Perhaps he was attempting to flee something or someone. Regardless of the circumstances, fate has caught up with him at Elbridge. Multiple psychic mediums who have visited the modern club have linked with this man with a heavy feeling uh, near the old well that is on the property, which has led them to believe that the man's body may have been unceremoniously dumped in the well shaft after the deed was done. Margot recalled an experience that she had one time while working out some paperwork in the building's basement. She heard a blast from the bar upstairs, followed by screams and shouts, help, help them. The retired emergency room nurse, as a retired emergency room nurse, Margot immediately jumped into action. She was preparing to call 911 and provide medical assistance. But when she got up to the bar, she found nothing there. Investigators have told her that the reoccurring episode is that of the shoulder being shot, and that is a reflection of what unfolded there in 1840. And the years before Margaret purchased the wayside, other paranormal experiences were said to have occurred. 
In the 1960s, the building was closed for a time after a fire. And even though the building was supposedly vacant, a passerby looking in the window saw a transparent woman and a long dress on the stairs. This was believed to be the earliest sighting of Sarah, and she has been seen on numerous occasions since then. Sarah is believed to be a young girl who hung herself on the third floor. Why she did this and why she cannot find rest are up for debate, but her striking spectral appearances are always notable. Other paranormal activity at the pub takes place in a more direct approach. Most women who have worked at the pub have reported having their hair tugged on by something. It's also common for staff members to report getting poked and prodded. It's certainly enough to keep any bartender on their toes. Again, if you're looking for a place to drink with some spirits, maybe experience some spirits, you need to make a stop at the Wayside Club. Spirits and spirits. We love our spirits and spirits. We do. And that's actually our last story for tonight. Our pub crawl is called Spirits and Spirits. It is. I don't think we're original in that. I don't think, well, I mean, at least not alone in that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ghost tour companies that call their pub crawl Spirits and Spirits. Because how can you not? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Hope you all enjoyed tonight. Yeah, but now that the cats seem to have quieted it down. For the moment. They were locked up while they were paramount was here, so they're getting their Jimmy locked. Yeah, it's, they, geez, they almost took us out tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was close. That was close. That was really close. But, yeah, thank you all so much for watching again. Um, we are going to be back again in two weeks with campgrounds. Yeah, haunted campgrounds. Haunted campgrounds. Because it's camping season. Yep, it'll be the uh, our first show after uh, Memorial Day. It'll be prime summer travel season, so we are going to hit the haunted campgrounds that you can go and uh, go and check out. Yeah. Um, I'm hopping around the states, and um, there are a lot, so this is just the first of many haunted campground shows we'll probably be doing. Yeah. Because I found a lot. <laughs> and after that, we're going to do haunted military bases, because we'll be coming close to Fourth of July. Yeah. So I wanted to honor our military, and we're going to talk about their haunted bases. Yep. Yeah. And then there was another one we had set up for after that even, right? Gettysburg. Ah, uh, yes, Gettysburg, because it's going to be after Gettysburg. Ju- just after the anniversary of the battle. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we are. We got our next three uh, shows all planned out, which uh, that'll take us. Yeah, the three scripts are done. Yep, that'll take us into the middle of July. July, gosh. Where's the year going already? Ah, <laughs> uh, and then we'll have to see from there. Yeah. Because we'll 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 touch on that later. <laughs> we have no idea what's going Our on. Our future is a little up in the air. We wait. We're waiting. We basically know what's going on for about the next month and a half. And, and when we say we're futures up in the air, we're Nothing not. To do with we're not going anywhere. Haunts of Richmond isn't going anywhere. We're going to keep doing these shows and all that good stuff. But there's the basically the back half of this year, travel plans and all that completely. So we have no idea what's going to happen, but. Next three episodes, they're set. We're good for at least the next month and a half. And, well, by the time we get that far, we'll have a better idea as to what's going to be followed for the rest of the year. Yeah. So, here in Richmond, come join us on a tour. Um, also, we know we got some transcend investigations coming up. Uh, I'm sure um, Donnie and his crew with Spirit Guys are going to have some investigations coming up. So, watch both of their Facebook pages, and you'll be able to see those things and hopefully come out on them. Yep. They did mention that um, uh, uh, Donnie and Merlin, they got um, out at uh, Fleetwood Church. They had a woman in purple. Yes, I saw that. She's yep. a very powerful spirit. Yes. So they have, uh, her name is Melinda, and that's another place that we have to get to and join them for an investigation at some point. Yes, we were out there for Fleetwood Terracom, but now we need to actually just, stay for the investigation. Yeah, that was just a day trip, so... Ah, yes. But, yeah. So, as always, we'll look forward to seeing you all again in just a couple of weeks. And uh, if you, as always, if you want to drop us a note anytime, we always love to hear from you. So, go ahead. You can drop us a note anytime on comment on our Facebook post. You can send us a note messenger. You can send us an email. All of that good stuff. So, we are, we'll be, we'd love to hear from you guys. And I am getting completely tongue-tied for some completely unknown reason. Um, because our mind is shutting down for the night. Ah, that, that might make sense. Yeah, I actually didn't have much drink tonight. I had an Irish coffee, and well, if I mean it was coffee, which is a little bit Irish. 
order drink. Okay. Since I have to go to bed and go to the shop tomorrow. I've been looking at this empty mug for over half an hour. I keep looking at it, hoping there's magically some more. Do you want a Hogwarts mug that just refills? That would be amazing. With butter beer? Okay. I'll take that. If you ever, if you ever go to Universal Studios down in Florida and you go to the Harry Potter stuff down there, get the butter beer. Doesn't matter what form it's in. Get all the butter. Get all the butter beer. Regular butter beer, butter beer, ice cream, butter beer, hot. Uh, frozen butter beer. Oh. The best. Oh. Uh, butter beer, fudge, truffle. They have a lot of beer. Butter beer, it's amazing. Anyway, cheers. We will see you in two weeks. Do a question. Um, <laughs> David says I haven't had enough beer, which is that might explain why I'm a little tongue-tied. Well, the beer is getting packed for our trip. So. Yes. So, ah, one thing at a time. And uh, the cats wore out. Yeah, the, the cats. Yeah, wore us out. <laughs> oh no, Merlin. Bog butter beer. Sorry. And I was just talking about Bob Butter. Well, that's why. With Merlin. No, with Ian. Oh, I was going to say, I commented on her post earlier. Yeah. I, I was talking about, I was showing Ian her post. And okay. He had, he had never heard of Bob Butter before. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, everybody. Cheers. Have cheers. a good night. Have a good night. And we will talk to you all soon. Take Bye. care. Bye.